Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us once again each week on Proclaiming the One. We take a look at the upcoming readings in the church year. We look at them in detail, not only for personal and private meditation, but also to help prepare you for worship. Uh, Pastors, how to preach it. Uh, hearers how to hear it and uh, we've been doing this for several years now we pray God's blessings as you uh, hear our program we proclaim the one and only Savior from sin Jesus Christ God in the flesh for you and we do this as we look at the readings for the one year series in Lutheran service book Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter, Cantate Sunday, Cantate Sunday. It is a uh, joyous time when we sing to the Lord a new song. That's the first line in our introit for the day, Cantate Sunday. And uh, we are still, as we record this, we are still in the midst of a... uh, lockdown 10-person limit in uh, Lancaster County and in the city of Lincoln. We are hoping to get some um, specific word whether uh, we will have new directed health measures in uh, Lincoln and beyond. The governor has uh, lifted the 10-person limit for much of the state. However, Lancaster County and several other counties in the state uh, are not a part of that, so we're not really sure what's going to happen on the fifth Sunday of Easter, if we'll be able to have uh, worship in God's house, if we'll be able to uh, not have worship in God's house, and we'll have one of our shut-in style drive-up communions outside. We just don't know yet at the time of this recording. So go to our church website, and all the uh, updated details will be there goodshepherdlincoln.org. Vicar's been doing a great job of keeping everything updated, and the uh, uh, most current information each day will be posted there. And uh, we pray that God would drive this pandemic from us because the day when we are able to come back into God's house for corporate worship, we will be singing to the Lord a new song. It will be joyous and festive And uh, we pray that it is very, very soon. Pastor Moline, thoughts on um, all of that? Uh, And I hope this doesn't sound political, but uh, contact your political leaders in our county and our city and uh, your city council members, et cetera, uh, and uh, ask them to um, or, or tell them what your opinion is about having church again and let them know where you stand on the matter. We have that God given. Um, responsibility as citizens of the nation. And if you look at the table of duties in the catechism, you can see that we still pray for our leaders, that they make wise choices and um, and still treat them with respect and honor. Uh, but uh, I think the time is now for us Christians to contact those people and let them know where we stand on the matter. I, I think you're right, Pastor. And, uh, you know, over the weekend past, um, you know, getting ready to do some garden things and, and that kind of stuff, um, you know, the places that I went to in and around Lincoln, 
uh, Menards, Walmart, Ace Hardware, Lowe's, Home Depot, uh, there were lots and lots and lots of people. There was no 10-person limit being enforced. People were socially distancing. Many of them were wearing, wearing masks. And, uh, you know, the people of the city of Lincoln, the state of Nebraska, have demonstrated for, oh, I don't know, a couple of hundred years that they can be personally responsible and uh, care for their neighbor. And I would like to think that Christians would be like really, really, really good at personal responsibility and caring and loving their neighbor. And so uh, I would hope that uh, the church would be seen as essential as the place where you can buy your your, uh, tomato plants and uh, your uh, onion sets. And that would just seem to make logical sense to me. Uh, But what do I know? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and, and boy, I don't want to go down this path too far, but even the uh, the logical fallacy in that uh, humanity, by their actions, can stop a act of God from happening. Uh, and this is an act of God, right? Uh, the illness coming into our country. Uh, and so it, just as we can't stop a tornado by staying in our basements, uh, we can't stop this pandemic from happening by staying in our homes either. And so what the, what's the thing that we do need in the face of it when our lives are on the line, and that's God's Word and His gifts. And so um, that's that's where the encouragement, I think, ought to come from us. There, there was a movie, since we've gone down this rabbit hole already, there was a movie a few years ago titled Twister, and Jodie Foster was the uh, main actor in the uh, in the movie and uh, her family had been devastated by a tornado when she was a little girl and she made it her life's mission to figure out a way to stop tornadoes so that no tornado would ever devastate a family like a tornado devastated hers and throughout the course of the movie she comes to realize that uh, she can study it she can analyze it she might even be able to help predict it but she can't stop it and uh, I think, uh, you know, your comments there just just brought that movie to mind. And it's not a particularly good movie. It's okay. Uh, but that theme throughout that movie, that is a good theme that I think everybody uh, can be more, more, uh, more aware of right now. And it's probably available on Netflix. That's what everybody's doing right now with their Netflix binge. So go ahead and watch it. And as we get ready for tornado season in the Midwest, Vickers eyes are like silver dollars thinking about a tornado. Uh, the gospel reading for the fifth Sunday of Easter, John 16, 5 to 15. Vicar? Jesus said, Now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There you have it, the gospel reading for the fifth Sunday of Easter, John 16, 5 to 15. Seems kind of an odd reading that we would have uh, as we're still basking in the glow of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we know that these last three weeks of our Easter season, Easter 5, 6, and 7, are in a sense pre-Pentecost Sundays. They are helping and preparing us in the same way that our uh, Gesima Sundays prepare us for Lent. They are helping and preparing us to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with regard to our Pentecost celebration, Whit Sunday. And so Jesus here, Monday, Thursday evening, the uh, upper room discourse is teaching the disciples, and in a very real sense, he's giving them a treatise on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Is, is that a fair observation, Pastor? Yeah, um, and as Lutherans, you know, we're not surprised, but these are one of the places where we get this idea. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to God's Word, and that's one of the things that Jesus is teaching us here in this Gospel lesson. So, unlike... For example, those who uh, encourage speaking in tongues and signs like that, uh, unlike those folks, we understand that if we want to find the Holy Spirit, he's not just floating around and we have to lasso him or invite him in or anything like that, but rather we know that he's attached to God's Word and will come to us where the Word is preached and proclaimed in its truth and purity. And so that is an important thing for us, and that's what makes this particular gospel lesson so important as well. At the beginning of our text, John sixteen five. Jesus said, now I am going to him who sent me. Uh, is this a discrepancy, Pastor? Because we know that this is spo- these words are spoken on Monday, Thursday evening, and uh, he is going to be arrested later that night. He's going to be crucified the next day. He's going to rise from the dead four days later um, uh, on Easter Sunday. And he is not going to ascend into heaven for, oh, golly, I don't know, about six weeks yet. And yet he says, now I am going to him who sent you, uh, who sent me. Uh, what is Jesus doing in, uh, in this first verse of our text? Well, um, the big picture is important, and, and that's where we know where Christ is going the next day. He'll be arrested overnight. He'll be uh, tried um, and uh, sentenced to death, nailed to the cross by 9 o'clock the next morning. He'll be dead by 3 o'clock the next afternoon. And so in that sense, this is his last real opportunity to talk to the disciples before these events take place and to prepare them for that so that when the time of resurrection comes, they can start putting the pieces together. And so Jesus is teaching them this, and in a sense, he's telling them the exact truth. Uh, I'm not going to be here the same way that I was during all the other three years of my ministry. I'm going to the cross to die, and uh, so the time is here for you to start 
getting ready for that and uh, that whole process of going to the cross, raising from the dead, and uh, even all the way up through the ascension is really the beginning of him going to the Father back to uh, reign in his kingdom. In fact, you could see the cross, especially in John's gospel, as the coronation of Christ into his kingdom. And uh, he's crowned with thorns. He sits on the throne of the cross. He's cloaked in purple. And so he is going to inherit his kingdom, and he's teaching the disciples that right now. So taking the first step of the journey is still going on the journey. Correct. And uh, that's the point here. So don't don't get caught up with any uh, timing issues or whatever. Jesus says, I have said these things to you uh, because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. Vicar, why is Jesus' heart full of sorrow? It's it's the uh, disciples that are. They oh yeah, sorry, I misspoke there. Why fair. are why why are the disciples full of sorrow at Jesus' words? Thank you. Uh, because they're about to lo- lose their earthly rabbi, um, as the way they th- they think about it, or their earthly king. Um, they're, you know, they're losing their teacher, their friend, or they think they are. They think they're losing him. They they understand clearly what Jesus is saying. He's going away. They're not 100% sure how or what. Uh, they have, they're filled with fear and uncertainty. And Jesus is comforting his disciples in the same way that Jesus comforts us. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter, Cantate Sunday. Sing to the Lord a new song Sunday. And uh, coming in uh, back from our break, hearing uh, that uh, beautiful, beautiful rendition of God's Own Child, I gladly say it. What a marvelous, marvelous way to... Be reminded of the joy that we have because of Christ's sacrifice. We are baptized into Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Our sins are forgiven. Our name is written in the book of life. Thanks be to God. In our gospel reading for the fifth Sunday of Easter, Jesus is teaching us about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We just just got into this text. We had a few other things to discuss in part one. But John 16, 5 to 15 is our reading. And uh, Jesus tells us that it's to his to our advantage that he goes away. Verse 7 of John 16. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, 
I will send him to you. Pastor, this, uh, this helper that Jesus is talking about, we know from a little bit later on in our text, verse 13, he calls this helper the spirit of truth. Um, how can we be sure that Jesus is talking about the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, and not some other person, place, or thing? Well, uh, if you read all of the Gospel of St. John, uh, I think it's pretty clear that this is who he's talking about. Jesus himself is teaching this throughout the entire Gospel from the very beginning all the way to the end. So this This is nothing nothing new. new. This is nothing new in chapter 16. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, go back to your thought. Well, no, that's where I was going to end is it's not a new teaching here. Jesus has been laying the foundation for this throughout the entire gospel, and and John, in writing it, is making sure we understand as well so that we know where to look for the Holy Spirit. And I think this is where he really just says it as clearly as possible. The Holy Spirit is attached to the Word, um, and uh, that's why he's speaking this to them, and this is where he's teaching the church to look in the future is to the Word, the Word, the Word. This, uh, this name or descriptor of God the Holy Spirit that Jesus uses, the Helper, the Helper. What uh, what can you tell us about that particular name? Well, um, it's not a helper like, you know, uh, I have my uh, four-year-old daughter dump the flour into the bowl to help me make waffles or something like that. Uh, this helper is actually the thing that's going to help us as we face all the challenges and difficulties and persecutions in this world that we're promised to face. And that's, I think, where it's key and important. Uh, this section, um, you know, he's going to talk about um, right before this, he says, to keep you from falling away when they put you out of the synagogues and whoever wants to kill you thinks they're offering service to God. This is the verses that come right before this. And so when we face persecution and challenges and difficulties like we are right now in this world, the Holy Spirit's there to help us. How? By keeping us in the one true faith, the faith that actually overcomes the world, the faith that promises eternal life, the faith that this world cannot take from us, even take they our lives, good fame, child and wife, though these all be gone, the victory is one in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit keeps us in that faith. The uh, Well said, thank you. <clears throat> Starting in verse 8, Jesus explains the work of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, the Spirit of truth, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Boy, when I think of the Holy Spirit coming to help me, uh, the last thing I think of is being convicted. And then Jesus explains even further concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Pastor, thoughts on this threefold work of conviction by God the Holy Spirit. Well, when we're talking about um, persecution and being thrown out of the synagogues and perhaps even killed for the Christian faith, when we are facing those problems and we see a helper coming, the question is, how's he going to help and what's he going to do? And he's going to work through the word. That's the way the Holy Spirit always works. He doesn't work in any other way. But what's his word do? It convicts 
the world concerning sin and righteousness. It judges, it uh, uh, condemns, it does all these things. It preaches law and gospel. And so if we're in the faith, and then that word is the thing that saves us. If we're outside of the faith, that word then condemns us, it convicts us, it judges us, it separates us from God. It does both these things in its proclamation, and Jesus is making sure that we understand that, and that as hard as it is maybe to say, if you are against the church, if you are against, and I don't mean church institution, I mean church the gospel, if you're against the church, then you are already convicted, condemned, and judged, and that's just a reality of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't undo that and bring you to the right faith. He can. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wishes, but that's where you stand at that moment. And so uh, to be convicted, to be convinced, seem to be very, very similar in, in their application here. Uh, when I think of convicted, um, I generally think of a courtroom kind of a scene. When I think of being convinced or having convictions towards something, I usually think of my mind or my heart and uh, how I operate uh, this way. Earlier in John, John chapter 3, Jesus teaches us that... Um, you know, God loved the world, gave his one and only son. He did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then whoever believes in the son has the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. Whoever does not believe in the world stands condemned or convicted already. Can we bring those two thoughts together, Pastor, from John 16 and John 3, that the work of the Holy Spirit will convict or convince people that Christ is the only way? You're either with him or against him? Is that, uh, uh, am I, am I uh, making a big leap here, or can I do that? I think you, you can do that. The word that's used here um, is, uh, just a second, I lost it. Elegco, elegco, and the word means to convict or reprove, and it is used in John chapter 3, verse 20, and so it is the same thing being done here. Uh, it is also used in Matthew 18, where if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Telling him his fault is the same word here, and so it means to convict, to reprove, to speak the truth really would be maybe the way to talk about it, because when I say, I think Paul uses this as well, uh, you shall not steal, by saying that, I am convicting someone of their sin if they have stolen. Uh, just the word itself does that, and the Holy Spirit is what's behind the word that is working this. And, and so we trust the Holy Spirit to work however he sees fit when we speak God's word and its truth and purity. And I'm trying to use the words of the catechism here as well to help flesh this out for us. Well, you're spot on when you say uh, it's just simply a matter of speaking the truth because that's where Jesus goes with this. In verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but it, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Vicar, in what way 
am I to look for the spirit of truth to guide or reveal me into all truth? Am I to am I to go on a uh, uh, journey and contemplate life? Am I to look for some mystical experience? Uh, am I to uh, go and visit a sunrise and, and meditate on God's beauty in nature? How is the Holy Spirit going to reveal this truth to me? Well, instead of using your own reason or judgment that is made of sin to uh, subjectively try to figure these things out, how they affect you, Rather than that, look to the objective word of God where, where the truth is. So, as Pastor Moline has said repeatedly, the Holy Spirit works through the word. This is how we can be sure the Holy Spirit is at work. Wherever the word is, there the Holy Spirit is. And God's word is true. God's word is rightly divided as law and gospel. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, I'm intrigued in the last few verses here, Pastor, and I know we don't have a lot of time to go into a huge theological discourse, but in the last few verses, Jesus seems to be teaching the mystery of the Trinity. The mystery of the Trinity. He says, uh, He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears... He will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And there, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How does the mystery of the Trinity begin to be unfolded in these last two or three verses of our text, John 16, verses uh, 13 through 15. Well, <clears throat> what, what we're hearing here is the things that are the Father's are also the Son, and that's the things that the Holy Spirit is going to deliver to us through the preaching of his word. And so without getting into the real difficult uh, uh, and hard to understand outside of faith, inner workings of the, the Holy Trinity, what we can say is that the Holy Spirit isn't going to be doing anything different than the Father and the Son, but rather through the preaching of the Word, uh, he's going to be giving forgiveness, life, and salvation clearly and, and um, um, definitively to the church so that they can use these things to heal consciences and uh, bind up wounds and sins and bring people into the faith so that in the end they can receive the salvation of their souls. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity and is always doing what the Trinity wants, and God desires all men to be saved, and the way that happens is through the Word. Yeah, I love how you said that, and I think we can take that even even one step farther because there are a lot of people who make a lot of claims today with regard to new revelations by the Spirit. And if the Spirit says something new, meaning something that is not contained clearly in the 66 books of the Scripture, then you know that this is not a new revelation from the Spirit, because the Spirit is not going to say anything new. The Spirit is going to proclaim the truth of what the Father and the Son have already done and <clears throat> revealed to us, and the Spirit it cannot glorify God with new revelations. There's nothing new in that way under the sun. And quite frankly, we don't need anything new. Right. 
everything has been accomplished for us and revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus. Oh, we need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter, Cantate Sunday. And when we come back, we're going to look at one of the most beautiful songs in all of Scripture, Isaiah 12, 1 to 6. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are currently, as we record this, on a state of suspended worship services here in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, maybe by the time we actually get around to the fifth Sunday of Easter, there'll be some relaxation on that. Go to our church website for all the details if uh if you can come and join us for church, we'd love to have you. If not, join us online, 8 and 10.30 on Sunday morning and 6.30 on Wednesday evening. Our regular schedule will be on the radio and on the Internet. Um, whether we can hold worship services in person or not, everything that we do is live on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln or on our app thecross957.org is where you go to get that. And uh, we're also um, doing a lot of stuff on YouTube that we didn't do before. And how much of that we'll continue with when we come back to church, I'm not sure. But if you do a little YouTube search for Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media, you will find us. On this Cantate Sunday, the fifth Sunday of Easter, the Old Testament reading is one of the most beautiful and one of the most famous songs in all of Scripture. Isaiah 12, 1 to 6. Vicar? You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You know, I can't, uh, thank you, Vicar. I can't hear those words without singing them in my head. 
the uh, the Old Testament canticle from the service of prayer and preaching. And, you know, I, I know that uh, there's very, very little history with that service, the service of prayer and preaching. Uh, it's very, very new. It's a new song in the church. And liturgically, there are some things that I like and some things that I really don't like. But that Old Testament canticle, along with the New Testament canticle, are just two beautiful new songs in the church, and it's a new song based on an old song because the new song is Jesus, Jesus crucified and risen for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Now, Pastor, I know you've done some extended study in uh, Isaiah chapter 12, and I have too. I've done a, a complete Advent sermon series based on this chapter of Scripture. It is, uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's very, very uh, Christ-filled. Uh, can you help set the stage for Isaiah 12 by give, giving me a quick rendition of some of the key things that are in Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11, things that we hear a lot during Advent and Christmas. Well, um, Isaiah 7 is it's the uh, really famous place where Ahaz, I believe, Ahaz, Ahab, asks for a sign, and the sign of Emmanuel is given. Um, and and so that's that place, the sign okay, of Emmanuel. Okay, so a virgin will conceive, conceive and, and give, give birth. birth You'll son, give him the name shall Emmanuel. call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so that's Isaiah 7. Now, Isaiah 9 is another biggie during the season of Advent. And it's the one you probably know because of Handel's Messiah, uh, where... To us a child is born. Uh, I don't know that part. I know wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so all these things are Handel took and loved this particular chapter. And that's if you listen to Handel's Messiah, you know these verses. But just to even speak them, his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, uh, and there's the other one where, for to us a child is born. And so both of those are in there in Isaiah chapter 9. Okay, and then Isaiah 11, which is probably the least familiar of these three chapters, but it's really, really big because of a great Advent slash Christmas hymn. Yeah, and the the words that I think probably are familiar from Isaiah chapter 11 are a shoot from the root will bear fruit. Um, and that's the way I have it reminded for me always because of a, a, a weird chapel that took place in my college days. Uh, but uh, the shoot from the stump of Jesse that is Christ, that is the uh, tree of life, if you will, um, that springs out of David and the, the genealogy that uh, Christ has. And so that's the place that we might remember from Isaiah 11. And the great Advent or slash Christmas hymn, Behold a Branch is Growing. That's where that comes right. from. Or, uh, lo, er, a rose, er, bloometh. Right, and I, that's by Gerhard, right, if I remember correctly? Or uh, I got the wrong guy. Gerhard or Luther, yes. Yeah. Okay, so the reason I, I went there before we got into the words of Isaiah 6 is Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11 are the reasons for this 
song of joy right smack dab in the middle of this section. And it's a song of joy before it goes into in the next several chapters of Isaiah where we see the the right arm of the Lord exerting judgment against sin and evil and unbelief. And so in the same way that Jesus is comforting the disciples in our gospel reading because he knows sorrow is coming. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is comforting the people of God because he knows they're going to be experiencing great sorrow coming. So we have, we have so many connections here. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Uh, we may not get any further than this verse, Pastor, in this text, because Christians struggle with a God that can and does get angry. So what is this part of Isaiah 12, this song in Isaiah 12? It's a celebration. You were angry with me, but now I've been comforted. So did God give everybody a hall pass? Uh, did God repent of the fact that he got angry? Um, was this anger placed on somebody else? Uh, how is the fact that God is angry not contrary to the very nature of God? And how is the fact that God got angry good news for me? Well, uh, God's anger, the way that uh, maybe is easy for us to think about to understand it as we speak about it sometimes as the cup of wrath, right? Uh, the anger over all sin and all time in all places. That's why God's angry at humanity is because we disregarded his word and trusted ourselves. And symbolically, we call this the cup of wrath. And what we can think about is that on the cross, Jesus drank the cup of wrath for us. So all of God's anger got poured out upon Jesus Christ as he hung naked, bleeding, and dying on the cross. And so if you've read the uh, Dickens book, uh, A Tale of Two Cities, you see this picture as well. Somebody steps into our place, into our jail cell, and they take our death sentence upon themselves so that we are set free to go and live our lives. And uh, that's what happens in A Tale of Two Cities. That's what happens in Jesus. He suffers and dies because of God's wrath, and we are set scot-free because of it. And the joy that that then brings, and I know, how can you be joyful? Somebody died in your place. Well, that person who died also came back to life to live and reign forever. And that's good news for us. And so that's where our sadness is turned into joy and comfort and peace. That's where Christ takes care of all the ills of this world so that we don't have to worry about them. What if someone said to you, Pastor, and thank you, well said, what if somebody said to you, I don't know if I want to believe in a God who gets angry. I want a God of love, not a God of anger. Well, <laughs> uh, can I just be blunt about it? A you, God that uh, only is love is also a God that is unjust uh, and a God that doesn't take things seriously, and uh, it's a God that you can't trust. In other words, that God is actually Satan. <laughs> uh, and so... 
If you don't have a God that actually deals with sin truthfully and honestly and says something but lets you do whatever you want to, that God is weak and isn't really a God, and that God will lead you straight down the road to hell. Thank you for being blunt. And, you know, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to convict the world of righteousness, this is a part of what he's talking about, how the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness because only God is righteous. And God's righteous anger is kindled because of our sin. And yet in God's great love, his righteous anger is poured out on Jesus yep. instead of on us. And all of this ties together so beautifully here. Now, uh, the verse that's, that's oftentimes neglected in this section, and I want to get at least to this, is verse 3. Because verse 3 doesn't seem to fit. We're talking about all these things that God has done, sing praises, sing praises. And then verse 3 says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What in the world do the wells of salvation have to do with everything that we've talked about with regard to God's righteous anger, Jesus' great love for us? Um, how does this, how does this uh, connect us to this chapter? Knowing that we're getting close to time, I'd say the waters of salvation that we're drawing water from, and this is a you in the plural here instead of a singular, so it's talking about y'all. Y'all draw water from the well of salvation and the waters of holy baptism, where your sin is washed away, where you're clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all of your sin. Uh, that's what we're talking about here with this particular verse. And isn't that how God delivers it's how he brings the means of forgiveness to us here uh, in this, this world and this time. Even if we've never been to Israel, even if we live 2,000 years after Christ, salvation is brought to us here and now in the waters of holy baptism. Yeah, and that's what Vicar emphasized in our last segment with regard to how we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. It comes from outside of us. God not only provides forgiveness, life, and salvation for the whole world through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He gives it away as a gift, and he delivers that to us in the baptismal font. Good Friday and Easter delivered to us there. We are washed clean in the wells of salvation, the waters of holy baptism, and then we can sing a new, cho a new song. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. We'll look at our epistle reading, James 1, 16 to 21. Don't change that dial.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. That uh, that rendition of uh, God's Own Child, I gladly say it. I just love it. The the, the voice, the uh, the instruments, and that particular verse. Uh, death, you know, you you can't mess up my gladness. Why? Because Jesus is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. This season of Easter goes on, and quite frankly, for every Christian, every day is Easter Sunday. Because we live in the resurrection of Jesus. We live in our baptism. And uh, because we are baptized into Christ, because we are God's own child, God calls us to live as children of the light and not children of the darkness. And that's what takes us into our epistle reading, James 1, 16 to 21. Uh, oftentimes the epistle reading is a practical application of everything that we've learned and studied so far. Vicar, take it away. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us out of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Wow. There's a lot of stuff there, isn't there? Um, Pastor, do not be deceived. Who is there? that is out there trying to deceive me or to deceive Christians. Who is James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, warning us about and against? Well, it's in uh, the pages of Scripture that Satan is um, identified as the great deceiver, the liar from the very beginning, the one who seeks to lead people astray, away from the truth of God's Word. And uh, what, what we've been talking about, you know, the, the Word is where the Holy Spirit creates and sustains faith and, and brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly the very thing that Satan is always attacking. And so it's fake words from God, words that are false prophecies, um, words that sound really nice and pious and Christian, and yet they really aren't. You know, things like, uh, you know, we always pick on him, Joel Osteen, you know, uh, that's the deceiver, Satan, at work in the church to lead people astray. Peace and salvation apart from the Word of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think that's a classic definition of a deceiver or lying, and it's in stark contrast to what Jesus teaches us to look for, and that is the spirit of truth. And uh, as we've said over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. And so this is, uh, this is what we need to be immersed in. We need to constantly be checking the teachers uh, teaching, uh, whoever those teachers are, with... Yeah, it's not limited to Joel Osteen. Not limited to Joel Osteen, but to, to test them, uh, test the spirits, test these teachers against the Word of God. And then... 
in verse 17, James says, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Um, Pastor, a few words or comments on the uh, adjectives that are there. Good gift, perfect gift. Uh, Why is this being emphasized with regard to the gifts that God gives us? Well, uh, these words, good and perfect, teach us what kind of things God does. And remember, we've talked about already, God works in his word. That's how he comes to us. And so when we hear God's word and its truth and purity, the things that God is giving us are good and perfect, and they're actually useful for our salvation, uh, to again quote a different place in Scripture. And that's the way God works. Um, He doesn't give us 90% good, and then we have to make up the other 10%. What he gives us is sufficient, and that is important for us to understand. It is complete. It is total. It's not halfway, uh, and that's that's good news for us. There's a beautiful choral anthem that... has been sung here at Good Shepherd many times. All good gifts cometh from the Lord, cometh from the Lord in great array. I think there's a version of that in Godspell, too, the uh, musical from the 70s. Oh, that would that would make sense <laughs> that I would uh, think of that then. Um, Pastor, you know, sometimes the book of James is criticized because uh, it's more practical application and maybe not such great, deep theological truths. But right here in verse 16... Uh, let's see, verse 18, excuse me. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Uh, I'm reminded of the Gospel of John, how uh, God creates us. Uh, We come to faith not of our own will, but of the will of God. Um, when, When we read here that God brought us forth by the word of God, truth, of his own will, what is that teaching us with regard to our conversion? Uh, That we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, and sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith. Everything that is necessary for our salvation, therefore, is accomplished by his work. Uh, We can't invite Jesus into our hearts or choose to follow him God does it by his will. Isn't it amazing that that is emphasized right here in the middle of chapter 1? You know, with all the practical (laughs) advice and practical application in the book of James, here the Holy Spirit reminds us, just remember, all this stuff that I'm talking about, I'm the one that gave you life. I'm the one that called you to faith. I'm the one that is producing all this fruitful life in you. Don't lose sight of that. And before we get into this laundry list of things that a Christian should do, uh, what a marvelous reminder to Christians that we don't do any of this on our own, not because of our own will, not because of our own desire. Okay, Um, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Vicar, you were in the in the real world for many years before you went to the seminary, as was I. How is this good, practical advice for all people and not just Christians? Because we are by nature the very opposite of this. We are slow to hear, slow to listen, very quick to speak, and extremely quick to anger. Um, whatever 
in that outside secular world we need to do to claw our way to the top to get ahead uh those are those the tools that you use uh don't listen um fast to speak and get mad when you need to we see this manifested on a lot of social media right now too pastor um this is good practical advice for all people and yet here in the book of james god is teaching us that it is especially important for Christians, people who have been born again, not by their own will, but by the will of God, to act in this way. What's the difference? Ask it one more time, so make sure. I was... the, the, this is good practical advice for all people. Yep. What makes this advice different for a Christian? Well, uh, these practical things, this is what I was making sure I was thinking ahead. These practical things that uh, James is saying we ought to do only actually can be accomplished completely and totally when we are in the faith. It's the Holy Spirit working in us that brings these things about. And, and this is why I wanted to make sure you're saying it this way in verse 21. That's he exactly says, what I was fishing for, right, so thank you. In verse 21, he says, the implanted word, right? And that, that's important. Um, when something is implanted, we don't do it to ourselves. Somebody else is putting it there, and the implanted word then allows us to be slow in anger. Uh, it allows us to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and, and to actually live as a Christian. It's implanted. It's put into us, uh, and that's the key part. And that wanted to make sure you were asking the question the right way because I was looking ahead to that particular word as the answer to it. Yes, and uh, that's exactly what I was looking for because to the world— you know, being a good person and what Christian admonition to holy living, being a good person, looks exactly like the same thing. And yet for the Christian, we have a different motivation. We have a different source. That implanted word and that motivation is because God has forgiven us, we want to forgive one another. Because God has loved us and served us, we want to love and serve one another. So it may look like the same thing to the outside world, but for the Christian, it is different because we have a different motivation and a different source. That is, uh, and, and we're and right. That's, in, in Matthew's gospel, he's very clear about that when uh, we talk about the final judgment and Christ says, well done. Uh, good and faithful servant for when I was hungry you fed me when I was in prison you visited me when I was sick you did these things etc etc and the people say I didn't know I did that that's because faith was doing it through them and on the other hand when he says depart from me you wicked ones for you did not feed me you did not visit me etc etc they say but didn't we do this and maybe they did visit people in prison and do all these things but without faith it doesn't really matter or count and and that's the key then the faith that is trusting in Christ for forgiveness of sins, that's the faith that then makes us alive and able to do these good works. The, uh, the righteousness that we produce does not get us into heaven, does not save us. The righteous acts that we do, cleaning up our act, does not save us or getting us, get us into heaven. The righteous act of the righteous one, the death and resurrection of Jesus, God calling us to faith in the waters of holy baptism, giving us a new life in him, and now God calls us to clean up our act and act like a Christian. Um, if you put the cart before the horse, you end up with works righteousness and self-justification. If you have the horse before the cart, 
you end up with a Christian admonition to holy living based on the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. The order matters. And God's word here in James chapter 1 makes that order abundantly clear. Vicar, would you uh, bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for the fifth Sunday of Easter? Let us pray. Oh God, you make the minds of your faithful to be one to be of one will. Grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors. Figure out a way, whether it's online or in person, go to church. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you again next week.